Hey everyone, wherever you are, I hope you're having a wonderful week so far. We're here with another episode of the Inside Crypto Show, interviews and discussion with regular people just like yourselves. Today we are joined by Micah Frame, who founded his CPA firm in 2013. Micah is obsessed with crypto and NFTs and is involved daily as an investor and an accountant, which is very timely given what's coming up next year. Micah shares his experience on navigating the digital asset investment roller coaster we seem to be on and staying compliant with the ever-changing regulations while still paying as little as possible on your taxes. Before we get into all of that, and for American people and for non-American people, Michael, just tell us about your background. Yeah, so I'm a CPA here in the U.S., been in solo or on my own. We've got other people in the company, but started my own company about 10 years ago. Started out like everyone, just trying to survive and pay the bills. Always had folks with small businesses, though. Over a couple of years in, we kind of specialized more in growth-centric companies or people with online businesses, things with like ever rapidly dynamic changing situations just because we get bored easily and the people who have constant situations also have constant needs and there's always so much utility we can provide when you're dealing with the same situation for 20 years in a row. So then like everyone bought a little bit of crypto in 2017, mostly ignored it. Then in 2020 got into it really deep, found a project I loved and then from there just start poking around the space a ton and have never really gone back as an investor but very quickly realized when i was trying to do taxes for myself and planning for all the stuff that i was doing that there was next to no guidance out there so got into this as a hobbyist and just a crypto enthusiast and then but we spend most of our time on the tax side just because that's where there's more of a need right now Definitely. I've seen stuff on Twitter about people like, oh, how do I handle my taxes? What I do here? Mm. Loss harvesting and all that sort of stuff. But like Mike, you mentioned no guidance, right? So how did you develop a foundation for you to give guidance to other people? It's a nightmare. And it's if it's a nightmare for me, you can only imagine the nightmare it is for just the average person who's involved in any of these projects. Because the IRS has issued specific guidance on about five different things. They said that coin for coin trades are taxable. Much of the disappointment of every crypto bro out there that says you don't have to pay tax on it until you cash out for a fiat currency. They've said coin for coin trades are taxable. That mining income is classified as business income. That you can't do what are called 1031 like kind exchanges, like you can't sell crypto, buy another crypto immediately and defer the capital gain you would have. They've said if you were hard forks and airdrops are taxable, assuming you get a new token with the hard fork. And they've said for, for what we call FBAR filing, which is foreign bank account reporting filing, they've said that right now at least your crypto wallets or your crypto. It, your exchange accounts on what could be a foreign exchange that doesn't count as a foreign bank account yet but that's it when it comes to nodes are, all, are my big thing nothing on nodes nothing on nfts and nfts are they're a discussion into themselves because of all the different things they could represent they haven't done anything on play to earn gaming they haven't touched most of the things that are kind of now ubiquitous and have been around for years, there's nothing there. So to, to your original question on how we laid our foundation, what you have to do, and we've spoken with a handful of tax attorneys who are knowledgeable in the space, some other CPAs who 
deal with it. What all of us have done is you're trying to find things that are established either within IRS guidance or case law and tax law that are reasonably analogous to what you're doing in the crypto world. So usually be traditional finance, something in business, something in a previous tax case where you say, okay, obviously this does not deal with crypto itself. This doesn't deal with staking. This doesn't deal with mining income. However, based on the particulars of this case, this seems reasonably analogous. This seems like the rationale relates to this and that's what you go with. And that's the best we can do right now. And we think we've done a pretty good job of it, but all of us, myself included, would be a lot happier if we could just point to, hey, here's this revenue ruling that the IRS released. And because ultimately, inevitably, we're going to be wrong on some of our judgment calls here. These are speculative to some degree, so hopefully that landscape is going to change and we get guidance coming out soon. I think with the FTX failure, that regulation and clarity is coming faster than it was going to happen before. But that's really all you can do. You're having to really connect the dots versus just having a, you, you can't just Google the answer and there's something authoritative right there. And Micah, as a CPA, knowing other CPAs, we had somebody on in 2021, another CPA from Florida, I believe. And I know there's been one or two CPAs on Reddit who come every now and then. Are more CPAs getting into crypto and tax legislation, that sort of stuff? Or do you find like it's still a very niche area for CPAs to understand? I think it was getting more mainstream when it looked like Bitcoin was about to hit 100K. Now that the market has shifted the way that it has, those sort of new players that we saw popping up and people who are not claiming to be crypto specialists, but who are starting to market a little bit more to the space, get involved. The CPA population can mirror the general population. And the same way you had a lot of people get involved in crypto when you were able to triple your money in two months, if you happen to just get lucky and hit the market at the right time, that's kind of what we're seeing with CPAs because there's just a certain amount of following the trends in the market. And right now the market is in, in the toilet. So the new entrants have gone down quite, quite a bit, at least from what we're seeing. So right now it's a really niche thing. Right now there's a really limited handful of people that I at least know of who, who do this. I'm sure there are hundreds out there. I only know about a dozen or so. So no matter what the number is, if it's a couple thousand or if it's a couple dozen, it's pretty niche and it's way more limited than it should be because you've got millions of crypto investors and most of them aren't getting the kind of advice that they probably need. That is definitely true. Okay, very cool, Micah. Let's get into the crux of today's show, talking about crypto, and especially, I think there's a lot of people looking at April tax filings for the states. I believe it's April 29th for the mm -hmm. states. Here. I think it's 18th because it's supposed to be the 15th, but that falls on a Saturday, and then there's this Washington, D.C. specific holiday that it pushes it out. I, th I think it's the 18th this year, but... I'd need to check a calendar for sure. No worries. I mean, we'll go with April. And I know here yeah. where I live in Taiwan, it's like May of next year. I believe the English are a bit earlier as well. I want to say before we get started as well, nothing you say or I say is financial advice. It's just 
you're giving us information. I'm giving everyone here information. Um, don't connect it with your organization or the organization I work for as well. But I guess I got to start with this big question is crypto has gone down a lot and there's a lot of bad stuff has <laughs> happened. Moving into 2023, and again, I want to remind people you're coming at this from an American perspective. So, so yeah, please take definitely. into account, right? What would you suggest for people who have had a 40% dip in their portfolio moving into 2023 and filing taxes? Yeah. So there's a bunch of different things we can look at. It all depends on the person's situation. There are two main things that we're kind of talking to people, not across the board, but qu quite a lot. One is what, and this is a U.S. specific tax maneuver, there may be a similar loophole in other places, but traditional securities in the U.S. are subject to what's called the wash sale rule. So what that means is that if you sell a stock, you have to wait, you can't buy it back within 30 days. Otherwise, the IRS says, hey, you didn't really dispose of this asset, you just sold it and bought it right back to get a loss on paper. So we're going to disallow that loss. You're not going to be able to take that on your tax return as a deduction, at least for now. And again, this could change for a number of reasons. Crypto isn't considered a security. It's considered property for the purposes of US federal income tax law. So what that means is that if you bought Bitcoin when it was $60,000 and you bought 10 of them, and now it's down to 20 odd thousand, or a little bit below 20,000, I think last I checked. But call it 20,000 for easy math. You've got an unrealized $400,000 capital loss. And that, that's huge. But if you don't do anything with it, then it doesn't really help you. If, you're just, if you just total, you know, that loss isn't helping you for anything else, any of the other stuff you've got going. But what you can do since it's not a security is you can sell that Bitcoin and then buy it back later that day and you still realize that loss. So in the scenario I was talking about, you're down $400,000. You can realize that $400,000 loss and the way that capital losses work for U.S. income tax purposes is you can either use those losses up to $3,000 a year to offset against what they call ordinary income, which is your wages, your business income, interest, dividends, most other types of income is ordinary income. So you can only use capital losses three grand at a time to offset. Or those losses carry forward indefinitely and they just never expire and they're just waiting for when you have a capital gain again. And that's where it comes into play for most people is, okay, you had a horrible year like most crypto investors did. You're way down taking this loss and realizing, actually creating a transaction to realize the loss doesn't help you much this year, but next year or the year after, when you've got all these capital gains, you're able to make all those trades and they're effectively tax-free because you've banked this huge capital loss to be able to use to offset against them. That's very interesting. And I think definitely I've seen a similar rule here in Taiwan. Okay, Micah, Let's talk about staking as well. I think their staking was become so popular in 2021, yeah. 2020 as well. So some people have been staking and they've made some income from staking. How are you declaring that income? Are you declaring it? What, what happens there? Yeah, so again, the IRS hasn't issued really specific guidance, but there was a court case that ended up getting dismissed, but we saw the IRS's stance on this. So staking again, one of these buckets where we which is ridiculous because proof of stake has been around for 
years now and has become the protocol of choice for probably at least the last three or something. So it's ridiculous that we don't have more authoritative literature on this, but again, that's the landscape we operate in. The IRS from the court case and from just the guidance they they released on airdrops and hard forks and just general tax principles, they say whenever you receive the staking income, you need to declare that as income and you treat it effectively the same way you would interest or just miscellaneous income that you receive. There was a couple, interestingly, there was a couple in Tennessee named the Jarrett's who they were staking Tezos tokens and they sued the IRS saying, we claim this income because that's the guidance, that's the, the understanding we have. But we shouldn't have to claim this as income until we sell it, because this isn't us receiving interest or dividends. This is us aiding in the creation of a new asset on the blockchain, because technically that's what you're doing with it. So that's the stance that they were taking. And the IRS pretty predictably agreed with their stance. But we were all really optimistic on that case because we say, okay, Win or lose, we at least get clarity as this case moves forward. But the IRS, and this is one of the frustrating things in the landscape we're dealing with, everyone's waiting on the IRS to provide clarification and revenue rulings and guidance. The IRS is waiting on Congress to pass actual legislation because the IRS, in most instances, is much easier just enforcing legislation that Congress passed versus coming up with their own interpretations. Because if they come up with their own interpretations, people will challenge it in court. They have to spend all the time and cost of doing that, and they might lose. So they're just waiting in the wings. And we saw that in this case was the IRS issued a refund to the the taxpayers technically sued for a refund of their 2019 taxes on that Tezos income. And the IRS said, okay, cool, take your refund. And the couple said, no, we want an opinion here. We want to know what to do going forward. And unfortunately, the courts ended up siding with the IRS and said, hey, you sued for your 2019 tax money back. They gave it to you. The case is moot. We're done. Last I saw, the couple was trying to appeal that, but I'm not super optimistic given just the precedent that's out there on what the tax courts are supposed to decide. But anyway, very long with an answer just with some, to give some color and backstory, but it could change in the future. But right now you're claiming it just as ordinary income, similar to the way you would interest income. Okay. Very interesting. And yeah, that's definitely good to know. I think for a lot of people across the board and across the world, Micah, um, I think Another problem that I had this year when I was filing taxes here was that, okay, I have my centralized exchange Binance, right? Coinbase is, operates in town, but their offerings are just like a fraction of what Binance has. And Binance has that sort of function where you can print out something taxable. You can take it to your attorney or the tax office here in, in my city, right? Now for those non-easy transactions that you're not doing on a centralized exchange where you're doing it on a decentralized exchange, you're just sending stuff through your MetaMask wallet and stuff like, what are you doing with those? Yeah, it, and everything that ends up being a nightmare because what you have to do, if you're not doing it on a centralized exchange, like you said, tracking all of that for you, or even if you are using a centralized exchange, but you're using 10 centralized exchanges and you're moving money around, 
they're not tracking your holding period, your cost basis. So you have to use Coinly, CoinTracker, one of those specialized software solutions. And it's almost required that you use one of those because otherwise you're trying to use a spreadsheet where you're tracking the value of the transaction, your holding period, the value of the Ethereum when you made the transaction, the gas fees that you were charged, and the value of them at that time. It becomes just a nightmare. So you have to use one of those software programs and they'll get you about 90% of the way there. But I know it's not an easy solution because obviously these are software companies dealing with a blockchain solution. So these are very tech-centric people. If it was easy to fix, they would have done it. But it will still feel like it's in beta testing sometimes. It's still just, it's a starting point is the way that we'll look at it. We almost inevitably have to go through there and redline some things where it didn't pick up the cost basis or double counted proceeds or something like that. We have to go through and adjust it. But that's really all you can do is those programs will get you most of the way there, but review them carefully just to double check to see if there's any manual adjustments you need to make. Okay. So like you mentioned, some suggestions for programs, like as a client of yours, if a client was coming to you seeking your services, what would you suggest as you having dealt with this yeah. issue before? Most of the top tier programs are roughly the same because they're all pulling the same information. Most of the good ones will eat, they're either pulling from your public blockchain address or they've got an API that they're syncing to Binance, KuCoin, the different exchanges that you're using. So mostly we don't care. We've had good success with Coinly and CoinTracker. For clients who are really high volume, like some of them using trading bots, so they've got a thousand transactions a day or something. A lot of these programs, the way that they'll tier their pricing is based on volume of transaction. So if you're using a trading bot and you want to use CoinTracker, which is a Coinbase's paid solution, you might end up paying them $5,000 or something ridiculous just for the subscription. There's one out there that we found at least called cointracking.info. They also seem to be very good. The reason we we'll like them for high volume people is I think their unlimited plan, like their Cadillac plan with unlimited transactions, I think is like four or 500 bucks for the year. So relative to what you would pay for other solutions, it's much, much more affordable. So for some people, depending on their portfolio, we'll really push them to that just to save them on the software subscription. That makes a lot of sense. 5,000 and 500, that is a huge difference. I mean, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, it is in the thousands for a lot of those, especially if you know, I've seen people who have 20,000 transactions for the year or something because they were using these bots for several months and now that the market is going the wrong way, I haven't heard as much about those bots as you did in 2020 and 2021 when it was easy for that to work because the overall market was going up when you were doing it. But yeah, definitely a big difference in the fee. Okay. All right. I think we've got to touch on the NFT subject because NFT traffic, and I just recorded an episode about this two hours ago, NFT traffic in January, I remember was like 600,000 unique transactions. <laughs> and it's down to 134,000 transactions. If you're buying, selling, borrowing, lending NFTs, what's your suggestion for people in that regard? It depends a little bit on the, on the nature of the NFT, because that's one of the things that we'll talk about a lot. And one of the 
it's not as big of a deal now that NFTs are like the same way that crypto is more speculative and more volatile than stocks are. I feel like NFTs are like, are that to crypto? Like you have, it's another level of volatility. But especially when we were having people who were doing so much trading in 2020, 2021, it would be really frustrating because there's the IRS, again, hasn't touched anything specific on NFTs. And where I think that's going to get really sticky is that NFTs can represent a huge array of different things and what they're trying to sell you. Because what most CPAs will say is, they say, okay, NFTs, from what we can tell, should be taxed as collectibles. And if you look at the CryptoPunks or the Bored Apes or some Bored Apes, they're coming out with like side utility. So it might not be as good of a, an example as it used to be. But basically, those profile picture NFTs, you say, okay, that makes sense because they're not providing value. You're using it because you're hoping that over time it's going to go up in value because of that rarity. And okay, for those, they should probably be taxes collectibles. But NFTs, I'm in a Discord server right now on NFTs that I bought an NFT that granted me access to that Discord server. And it expires at the end of 2022. And then I've got to buy a whole new one next year if I want to stay in the group. For those, that's really more like buying news and memberships or a subscription. So that really... Just pr from a practical standpoint, it's hard to put that in the same bucket as the CryptoPunk that is just going to sit there and hopefully go up in value. And I'm just holding for a long period of time and has indefinite utility to it. And then you have the thing that really got me into cryptocurrency or Gala Games nodes, because I don't have time to do it anymore. But Back when I was a teenager and I loved playing games, I would play these World of Warcraft ripoffs. And so I was like online gaming, it was, I loved. So the whole structure of nodes being the crowdsourcing, the server space, NFT gaming, and play to earn gaming made, made sense to me. But so gaming NFTs, that's a whole different category. And while one of the reasons I'll use gaming NFTs is I'll say, okay, let's say you're in a World of Warcraft type game. You're in an MMORPG and you've got, let's just list off some assets that you can have in that game that are NFT items. You can have a pickaxe that degrades over time. Every time you swipe, it starts to break down. You have a sword that doesn't degrade, but increasingly becomes obsolete because the game gets, you know, upgrades and it just becomes less and less useful. You buy a piece of land that you can build on. You buy a building that you can run a tavern out of or live out of. You buy a piece of digital art within the game. You start to list those off. Well, if those were the real world equivalents, all of them would be taxed completely differently. The land wouldn't depreciate. All the building would depreciate over 40 years. The pickaxe you would just expense. The sword you might expense or depreciate over a year or two. The piece of art you wouldn't depreciate at all. So I don't think it's likely that NFTs are ever going to be amortized because amortizing is the term for intangible. We think it's going to be amortized over 40 years. But I do think that what's probably going to happen is the IRS is going to just look at it and say, okay, NFTs, 
are collectibles or something like that, or that you can't amortize them at all. You can't ever expense them. You just hold them on your balance sheet. And then when you sell them, that's when you rise the gain. And I think there's either going to either legislation or court cases are going to come out where people are saying, yeah, it's an NFT, but let's ignore the fact that it's a non-fungible token. Let's look at the utility and the way that I'm actually using that. And I think it's going to be one of the most heavily litigated spaces in all of crypto over the next probably 10 years or maybe longer just because that doesn't even get into things like the tokenization of real world assets where people are trying to tie real estate or something to an NFT. So I think that's the big challenge, but just because NFT theoretically could mean almost anything and could be associated with anything from, Hey, this is how you get into your discord server and you pay for your membership over the next six months to, hey, you own, this is how we're using our real like a REIT, a real estate investment trust. That's how we're, you, the securitization of, through the token. You're seeing in a way, an array that's that wide. And I think that's going to be a really interesting and hotly contested area because of that. Okay. Micah, you made some really good points. And I think one of the things I wanted to ask, because it is, like it's December 22nd when we are recording this show and I just wanted to ask you, like I know we had our previous CP on and he was saying, if you're a crypto trader, if you've done a few hundred transactions, ideally you should be approaching your crypto knowledgeable CPA in December, like right now. But somebody listening mm -hmm. to this episode, they were like, oh my God, it's already December. I'm totally nowhere ready to find Micah or find somebody else in my local area. When's the last due date you could approach a CPA and say, hey, this is all the things I've done. Can you help me? You can approach us at any time. It's just, it will depend. Once December closes, we lose about 80 to 90% of our maneuverability and the choices we have once the year closes a lot of the maneuvers that we might have chosen to make are no longer available to us so before the year closes we would look at tax loss harvesting like we said because you don't have to deal with the wash sale rule in some cases we're actually accelerating people's income like gala nodes and some other nodes you've got a little bit of control as to when you claim the income right now and for some projects like that, we're telling people, okay, we might want to claim this income right now when the token is at two cents versus when it goes back up to 50 cents next year. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that you're claiming the income at two cents instead of 50 cents. The other is that starts your holding period for capital gains purposes and the long-term capital gains that you have to hold it for a year. So in some cases, it's a little counterintuitive, but we're actually accelerating income because if we're looking at over a horizon of three to five years, it's actually going to save you money when we average that out and when you do sell your tokens. It doesn't make sense for a lot of setups, but if you have mining or node income, and even some instances of play to earn gaming could be taxed as business income, because of that, it might make sense to set up an entity and have it taxed as an S-Corp or sometimes in limited situations, a C-Corp. But all of those things have to be done before the end of the year. Once the year closes, we can look at your, there's still things that we can do. If you're coming to us in April, we can look at basic things like what accounting method is your coin tracking software using? 
because most of them will default to FIFO, which is first in, first out. So grabbing the earliest Bitcoin that you bought, and that's what they're using, that's what they're saying you sold. And there are advantages to that. Long-term capital gains is one of the main ones. You're much more likely to get long-term capital gains treatment if you're grabbing the oldest Bitcoin. But a lot of crypto traders, especially ones who are doing it more actively trading, they're not qualifying for long-term capital gains anyway. So for a lot of them, what we'll use is what's called HIFO, which is highest in first out. So you're grabbing whatever has the highest cost basis, which is just by definition reducing your capital gains. Now, you're less likely to get long-term capital gains treatment, but for a lot of traders, that doesn't matter. So some people that we've had come to us, we've looked at their port portfolio and we've just gone into their coin or wherever and top, they didn't even know it was there, but we toggled the box and it reduced their capital gains by a couple hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So, so we can have these success stories. We know more about what is deductible and what's not and some of the different stances you can take. So even if it's already been done, sometimes we're able to either beef up your cost basis and reduce your gains or if you've got mining income do like additional expenses there's one one other thing i had a third one just like it in the chamber and there's they'll it'll probably come through but there are things that we can do but the like anything the earlier the better especially before the end of the year so please approach a cpa who knows about crypto see what they can do for you because there can be things that we can adjust and tweak and oh the other thing i was going to say is that going through the the report that you get from your coin tracking software because a lot of times they are inaccurate and we're able to help you identify things that need to be manually adjusted so by all means approach us we may be able to help i think it's just a matter of adjusting your expectations of exactly how much we'll be able to do because we're looking backwards on a period that's already been closed okay yeah that that sounds like good advice okay Michael, let's take a situation somebody's listening to this episode in april tech season's over but they're like okay i've I somehow managed to magically handle my taxes, 2022's taxes in 2023, but it was pretty bad and I need some advice. Could they then approach you in May and say, hey, Micah or somebody else, can you advise me for how does everything so that come November, December, when I need to start really preparing that everything's in order and it makes my CPA's life easier? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's where we'll pick up most of our clients is They'll come to us in the prior year had been a mess and they come to us and we get the return done for them and then we do the planning or they, the scenario you talked about where they got the return done themselves, but it was so awful. They said that was so painful. I need a CPA now. Absolutely. And that's easy. That's one of the times when we pick up clients more than any other scenario. So if you do get through it, you file your taxes and it's really painful, that's usually a good wake up call to contact somebody who knows about the crypto space who can help you moving forward. Okay. Micah, another question I'd like to ask is, and not every country has the situation, but like in the States, you guys have federal taxes and state taxes as well. Other countries, Sweden does like a similar system of local and government taxes. Germany is the same. Do you pay taxes on crypto at a state level? Or is this just from, because of IRS is like a federal institution. So you pay federal taxes on crypto. You pay it on a state level too. There, there's a handful of exceptions. I can't remember. I saw some alert from 
Law 360 a couple of months ago that like Missouri or some state had carved out a specific exemption for airdrop income not being taxable income. But unless stated otherwise, it's all just regular taxable income and you're paying it on the federal level and the state level. States may choose to manually exclude parts of that from being taxable on the state level, but that's few and far between. It's very rare that we're actually seeing them choose to specifically say, hey, this is not taxable income to you. Because if nothing else, they'd like... That's extra work on their side to pass legislation to process the adjustments on the return, and it's money that they're giving up, so they're not super keen on giving up revenue for no reason. I wouldn't think so. Micah, I think maybe moving towards the end of today's episode, you said a lot, you've given a lot of good advice. And I guess one, another thing I was curious about from like smaller CPA firms or medium-sized CPA firms, like you might have like yourself being supremely crypto knowledgeable. But if I went to John's CPA firm and John is the only guy who knows about cryptocurrency, but I get somebody else working for John and... John is reviewing. Is that an ideal situation? Is there a way, like in your situation, from like, hey, I saw Micah on the Inside Crypto podcast. I want Micah, but you're like, oh my God, I'm running this company. I don't have time to handle this. Is, yeah. What's the best way for dealing with that kind of situation? Yeah, so right now at our firm, I'm the only one dealing with any sort of crypt- crypto stuff, like partially just because I really love it, partially because I'm the one that really knows about it. I think it would depend on... Yeah, I don't like to speak in absolutes because a lot of times you will have someone who, where the owner is, like you're saying, is too busy. They say, hey, I'm out here marketing, managing my team, but they're really good. I think it, it depends on the complexity of what all you have going on, like, like anything else. Because if you have it to where you're doing all your training on Binance and Binance gives you just a nice little form and then you're just inputting that form the same way you would your stocks and bonds from your broker. Okay, there's not a, Binance is accurately tracking your cost, but they're doing so much of what we worry about for you and you're not dealing with these more complex situations like running nodes or mining where it's a business. You're not dealing with making sure that all the transaction history make sense across the 10 wallets that you're using. You're not dealing with liquidity pools and these DeFi protocols. You're not dealing with all that stuff. So in the simpler and more just typical your situation is, the less you need a a true specialist. But as it grows, the more you probably want the guy who is the crypto expert using it. And if they're not available, looking elsewhere to another firm. So that's a broad answer, but I think it really does depend on how deep in crypto are you? Okay. Are, do you have, are you, I was going to list Voyager, but they went bankrupt. I guess they got, FTX was going to buy them out and then someone, I think Binance announced that they were buying them out. If you're on Coinbase or Binance or any of those that makes it easy to onboard your fiat, you don't send it anywhere else. They give you a nice blend up report there, especially if you're doing that with a couple thousand dollars worth of income you're probably fine. If you're talking about you've got a couple million dollars worth of transactions, yeah, then you probably really want the guy who's deep in the space to, to make sure there's nothing you're missing. Nice. Okay. Some people might not know this, but you're actually an author and you've written two books. 
and I've seen those books just from your profile. But I was wondering like, if you could tell us a little bit about those before we end up today's show and where people can get them. I'd like to know as well, is there an audiobook? Because I'm a big audiobook person. Yeah. So I guess there's technically three books. There's the little big small business book, volume one and two, and that's just general business, tax, accounting, financial advice. And that's such a dry topic that we always try to tie that into some piece of pop culture, history, or something to make it a little bit more palatable. The first one of those actually got recommended on Ty Lopez's book recommendations. You go to his site and you scroll, you have to scroll pretty towards the bottom, but it's on there. The one that we released, I guess in June of this, June or July of this year, it's specific to crypto taxes. It's called Decrypting Crypto Taxes. And that came largely from us getting trying our own research of trying to figure out these topics and not finding them. So every chapter is set up to where it's basically a frequently asked question we've gotten. How is staking income taxed? How is node income taxed? How is liquidity pool income taxed? What's the best accounting method for me? It, so it's, I think it's 35 chapters and each one is, or most of them are phrased, framed as a question of, is this taxable or how do I deal with this? How is this taxed? Those are, you can get those on any major retailer. They're on Amazon, they're on Barnes and Noble, and they're in every format. The digital version, just the ebook version is free. We've got print and hardback, and then we do have it on Audible as well. Sweet. Oh God. Cause I looked on yeah. Amazon yeah. and I found an Amazon and I didn't know why I couldn't see a button for Audible or audio version somewhere, but I guess I'm going to have to look again. I'm hoping there's not a country restriction or anything. I know it's, I can't imagine there would be, but yeah, they, it should be out there. Let me know if it's not, and I, I can send you a raw audio file or something. No, no worries. That, that's cool, because I found the book. And usually, like with Taiwan, we do our Amazon shopping from the U.S. anyway. So it's okay. really cool. Okay, so nice. And I love the way that you mentioned the format of the book, because I like that sort of solution. Like, here's my problem. This is how you fix it. And I love books like that. That's awesome. I've poked around other crypto books and other tax books. And ultimately, this is a dry subject. This isn't something people are just reading for their own enjoyment. They're doing it because they want to save money or they've got a problem that they're trying to address. And there's some ways you can try to approach that to make it more palatable. But at least, especially for the crypto book, where mostly people are just looking for They've got a problem. They really need an answer. We're trying to make it as succinct as possible. Here's the problem. Here's the solution in a page or two. And then, then they can put the book down until they need it. They run into an, another issue. Mike, a quick question. I just realized before you were coming on, I asked some people who regularly listen to the show, like what they want to ask. And we have a few listeners scattered around the world. Huh? And they told them as well, I'm like, yeah, you're not, you don't give international taxation advice. I don't think so anyway, but... They were yeah. wondering, do you do crypto tax consultation in a sense and guiding people in a broad perspective? Say, hey, you live in Germany. This is the general rules because like, taxation rules like broadly apply roughly around the world, right? For most things. Do you do Zoom calls and that sort of stuff in that regard? We've got a fair number of clients who are living overseas, but they're all U.S. citizens. So what we're focusing on then is still the U.S. income tax side for people who are living abroad, not the taxes in. We've got a fair number of clients living in Taiwan, but I'm not focusing on the Taiwanese tax. I'm just dealing with the U.S. income tax side. So theoretically, we could do the, that because like you said, there are, especially with 
in crypto, it seems like there's more of a consensus or collaborative effort with a lot of countries to try to have reasonably uniform laws. And the U.S., whether or not we should, it, this should be the case, will inadvertently or by design dictate some degree of international policy in certain things. So some of the things that we've done in the U.S., we're seeing it follow in the EU and other places. We could do it. It just probably wouldn't be the best use of their money. Like it, you could find for the same amount you pay us, you could find someone in Germany or wherever you're living who is a real expert in that space, not saying, here's the way it is in the U.S. And I hope, I hope it's the same th- where you are. Very good pieces of advice. Okay, Micah, is that time? And I told you before, last things, anything you want to plug, any pearls of wisdom you'd like to leave our audience with before we close up today's show? If anyone is in the U.S. or U.S. citizens watching this and wants to reach out, they can find us at CryptoTaxCPA.com. That's our crypto website. And again, the book Decrypting Crypto Taxes is free on Amazon. But aside from that, this isn't particularly sage advice, but we always come back to the, especially in crypto, the cliche of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We have had so many people come to us after the fact, after the year's closed, and they made in 2021, they made $500,000 trading NFTs, and they kept reinvesting in the project because they were never going to go down. And then the NFT mark, either that project that just ended up being a scam or just going down, and the project tanked 99%, or it was a blue chip project and it still went down 80%. So they've got this huge tax bill based on $500,000 of income, but their portfolio is only worth $100,000. Even that basic things of, hey, whenever you make a trade, set aside 30, 30, 40% of it in a bank, cash out part of it and put it in a bank account to set aside for taxes. Very basic things, some of which are, again, very common sense. We could have prevented if we had just been talking to them and planning throughout the year that would have saved people financial catastrophe. In some cases, there's people who might, or not people we've spoken to, but people in the crypto market who will end up in bankruptcy because of all the money they made in 2021 and the tax that generated from that. But the fact that they didn't do any tax playing around it, and now they have no way to pay their tax bill. Literally all the profit they made in a previous year could drive them to bankruptcy. So that's all we say is just, we'll joke about crypto being magic, internet money, and it doesn't feel real sometimes. So crypto investors will be much less risk averse. They'll have a higher risk tolerance. So they don't mind losing their investment and that's fine, but you can't have that same cavalier attitude when it comes to your tax planning. So at the very least, just cover that part. And even if the crypto market goes down, you'll still be, you'll still be okay. I think that is sage advice. I don't know what you're talking about because I'm like, oh God, I should be doing that. And I've done that for some things, but definitely not for the majority of what I'm holding. So thank you very much for that advice. So I've got the websites. I've got your LinkedIn. Do you want to remind everyone what's your Twitter? Are you on Twitter, Micah? I am. It's framecpa.com. Or not, that's our website too. But my Twitter handle is at framecpa. At framecpa. Very cool. Okay, so please do follow Micah there. 
If you like everything that Micah said, you should definitely let me know. You can tweet at me as well. All my details are usually there. If you want him to come on, maybe closer to tax season, if we can squeeze out 15 minutes of Micah's time, because I know all CPAs are super busy in tax season. We can grab him home from a super short episode. I think that would be awesome as well. Micah, thank you very much for making time early in the morning and hopefully we can get you on. Yeah, thank you for making time late at night. It's no problem. It's fantastic. You're a fantastic person. You spoke really well. You presented everything really nicely. So I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the audience will as well. And hopefully we can catch up maybe in a few months or at least maybe get yeah, you in tax season and do an episode of things I learned during tech season of 2023. That would be a cool episode as well. Thank yeah, you, Micah, and enjoy the rest of your morning. All right, you too. Thank you, man. That's all we have time for today, folks. I and everyone at 21 Code really appreciate you stopping by. Please don't forget to check us out and our website, 21.co. As stated during this episode, nothing said here by either party constitutes financial advice. This content on this podcast is strictly for information and entertainment purposes only. If you like what we do, you can follow us on social media, Twitter at 21company underscore, LinkedIn at 21-co, check out the amazing content our research team puts out. You can also follow the company any of the employees on LinkedIn to keep up the latest podcast releases. 21 Shares also puts out a monthly newsletter with our latest insights on the crypto market. You can sign up for that on the 21 Shares website. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone and everyone. See you next time.